Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome once again to another edition of the Leeds That Podcast. I'm Paul and tonight I'm joined by James. Hello. And Rocco. Hello. How was the pub, Rocco? Uh, it was good in the end, yeah. It was It was rowdy, it was ecstatic, it was full of leads and uh, yeah, what, what a ridiculous result and victory. Unbelievable stuff. Off mic, I was genuinely worried about you, Rocco. No, it's fine. I, I I can't handle hangovers anymore, so I was I was I was being nice and controlled. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was all good. Thank you for your concern. So we've decided to get together, and James wants to call this episode "Thumb Twiddling." Why on earth are we twiddling our thumbs? Well, it's that time of year where everyone's a bit bored because club football's not going on. We don't have any players that are really in. Involved in internationals for one thing and another. So you get thumb twiddling and people talking about transfers and just a lot of noise around that. So I thought, well, that'll do for a title. <laughs> well, we were set to have a fair few international players, but obviously Calvin's not back fully yet. Whether Patrick Bamford's anywhere near the England squad now is another question. Uh, Diego Lorente had his heart broken on, on Friday by getting into the national squad and uh, I'm sorry, Loriente then managed to find his way out of it. I assume Robbie Cox probably injured if he's even been picked, but he didn't actually come off. Oof, they're all at it. Rafinha's got COVID and everyone hates him now because he's useless and might as well leave. Was click, so, it, was click out as well. I presume he's click, out with concussion. Click had already been withdrawn because it, I think number of games so they, before that game they said that they were pleased that he was going to be able to spend the time at, at Thorpe Arch and then he just got smashed in the face and went to North Bar for a pizza instead so Melier, Cooper oh god yeah With the list yeah. goes right. on yeah they're all just uh, they're all just on the treatment table for Rob Price instead having a lad's holiday in the treatment room so while we're thumb twiddling, we thought we would go through a range of topics, almost a bit of a little uh, initial appraisal for for Jesse. But let's um, let's talk first of all about Marcelo. I saw someone put on, put on Twitter. I find myself occasionally wondering how he's doing and thinking about what he's up to now. I think that's perfectly natural. Still, what about you guys? Uh, I wouldn't say occasionally. I'm. I'm... Yeah, my thoughts are dominated by it. I, I must admit, like after 
after the Norwich game and after the Wolves, um, I was so intrigued to know, like, would he have watched those games? Would he have, like, would he have been happy? Like, would it, how would he have felt about it? Because there must have been a range of emotions there. I'm sure, obviously, he wanted them to win. But even still, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know how he feels about it all. I wonder if we'll we'll ever find out. That's really sad. That really upsets me. It genuinely does because any other manager clears off and they're either still in the country or they're somewhere or they do an exit interview or they'd be a mouthy exit interview. But you knew that you weren't going to get that. You just got all that emotional goodbyes around Weatherby. It just hurts. It still hurts. And yeah, I, I don't wonder about him i worry about him <laughs> I, thought, I worry about him like i would you know a grandparent or i think as well because you know that after a defeat he probably pours over it so much and like really scrutinizes himself and blames himself for a lot of things that actually being sacked is kind of the ultimate version of that and i imagine he kind of really does assess like what's gone on and how it happened and what he should and could have done differently, et cetera. And he just kind of think, oh, don't bother. Just, you know, just be you. You were, you were, you were perfect. You were what we needed. So did he get sacked anywhere else or did he always just walk out on principle or is the precedent? No, I think he got, he got sacked. I think, well, I think he got sacked at Lille and also Marseille. Um, But I think Atletico he walked out on. Oh, wow. He walked out on Lazio. Was it Lazio? Yeah, I know that there'll be people listening to this. Well, if anybody listens to this, there may be some percentage of people listening to it who think, don't dwell on the past. It was a huge part of the club, but he's gone and we're moving on. Should we be moving on? I remember talking about this a few seasons ago, probably when he first started, and it was... It was probably in an international break as well where we actually had time to digest it. And the thing that I always come back to with Bielsa and how I kind of make myself at ease with him going is the fact that we had so many years just absolutely dreadful management, but management at the top that just didn't see the value in having someone that could really grab hold of the team and the club and, and project it in a in a you know a positive direction. The lasting thing of Bielsa is that all the fans now have got a really high standard again of what of what good and what the best is. So I think that's that's the thing that I'll that I really appreciate more than anything is that now there is this bar and no fan will ever be happy if we if we fall below it. And that's 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 exactly what that's exactly the right thing. I um I mean this sounds unbelievably cheesy, but yeah, Bielsa's legacy will live on um with all of us, you know, for the rest of our time watching Leeds. Um but like for me, I'm I'm definitely still struggling with it. Um, no doubt about it. It's, it is affecting me and like I, you know, I still feel really bitter. And you know, I was thinking the other day about how, you know, they've done this to by sacking him now. They'll always now, you know, they've, they've basically, I mean, they have trod on his legacy because, you know, people will always now be able to raise the question of, oh, well, you know, had everyone worked out his tactics, you know, he was taking you down and, you know, people, you know, it gives it gives ammunition to people who want to put Bielsa down, which is just so unfair. And like, as amazing as the two victories were, like in the aftermath of it, I couldn't help myself, like, just like feeling annoyed that like we'd we'd finally had that look, you know, we'd been waiting for a bit of luck all season and, you know, we get these two miracle results like that. And, you know, 
obviously we'll never know whether it would have happened under Bielsa, but, you know, it was just, you know, what he was waiting for, what he needed, what we all needed just to sort of, you know, jump us out of that, that little rut and, yeah, from from to just end after that week of those hard fixtures and not have even a chance to to see if he could get us back on track. Um, yeah, it, I'm just I, I don't think I'll ever come to terms with it. Really, um, hopefully we'll we'll stay up and everything will work out for the best. But it's yeah, it's tough. I wish I didn't feel like this, and I feel like a worse fan for it. But just can't you can't help it, can you? Well, I think it kind of segues nicely into discussing and appraising the first uh, the first handful of fixtures of the uh, new manager's reign. I can't really still bring myself to say his name, because there's nothing against him, but it's just where, where I'm at. So, James does it well. Go on, James. You can say his name really well. Jesse Marsh. <laughs> yeah, that guy. It's only four games, but it was absolutely nuts. So we had Leicester, where we lost narrowly, but should have got something out of is the general feeling. Aston Villa absolutely turned over disaster. We've gone over that several times. At that point, having lost the first two, I still, and this is where it kind of segues nicely from the last conversation, there are so many people who I think believed we would have got at least a point out of those two fixtures by having Bielsa, or even if we kept him through that, having, I don't know, nothing's going to change this, so we're just going over all stuff, but getting sacked after getting hammered by the teams that we got hammered by. There was only one bad result in there and it was the Everton result. The others were, they were bad results, but they weren't unexpected outcomes. It was the Everton game that was the stinker. But then you thought when this run of fixtures changes and, and at Norwich at, at 90 minutes, not 90 plus whatever, but at 90 minutes, I think his position was really in risk after three games, like almost three games. Cause I think adding one point out of those three fixtures and having seemingly made no progress, how many games do you think they would have given him if like on a, well, again, fine margins talk about it moments in games, moments in seasons, we've got six points out of 12, which actually is brilliant because it's made a huge difference to the league table. But do you, do you think that his position would ever have been in question? How far down the line could we have got before we thought, nah, this guy ain't doing it either. We need a proper change. And they got Big Sam in. To be honest, for me, it would it would come down to an ego thing. Um, you know, whether the board, the board had the balls to admit that they got it so wrong that they'd sack Bielsa for absolutely nothing. And I don't think they I don't know. Maybe they would have panicked again and, and changed again. But yeah, I think it comes down to their mentality at the end of the day. Because like you said, well, Chilino would have sacked him probably probably after Villa. <laughs> and certainly, if, if I mean, Chilino sacked Milinic when he went defensive at halftime against Wolves in his sixth game. So that did remind me of that when uh, when he brought on Cox. So, so hard to say. It's not a nice conversation to have for poor Jesse, is it? <laughs> Discussing whether, whether he would have been... Uh, on for the chop. But he, I mean, looking at it on paper, he has, according to LUFC stat bomb, three out of our four best XG stats this season have been with Jesse Marsh. He's doing something right in attacking and, you know, maybe attacking more centrally fits the kind of players that we've got. Because what, like thinking about it as well, before games, we like, even under Bielsa, the players always 
warm up with like shooting on goal and they're very central like they, they never do any shooting that's like any set kind of set plays of how how it would happen in the game and i always think why do they shoot like practice shooting from where they never shoot from in a game <laughs> but now they're actually shooting from a place where is applicable to what they're being taught in terms of formation and how they they play as a team so yeah i, th- I think it's it's so like early to judge and a 50 percent win rate is really good on paper but the performances have also been pretty shaky where well i say pretty shaky wolves was we they were written off at half time luck got us a result there in the end really and you know you make your own luck obviously but you can't you can't deny that i do think like i watched the wolves well i watched the second half of the wolves game back i couldn't face going over the first half um, and I was impressed, like more impressed than when I watched it the first time. Um, you know, the, I mean, it was a heroic second half and they really went for it. You know, it, it was forgetting the circumstances and the players that weren't on the pitch. I, I thought they did really, really well. You know, it was basically like watching the Bielsa team. So, you know, we have to give him credit for that for sure. Um, it, the XG thing's a funny one and, and I don't know if I've got a problem with it or I don't understand it, but like, for example, so the the Wolves XG obviously was high. Or does it take into account the fact that we, you know, we had like three or four chances for each goal, you know, which which would have you almost should really cancel out if you have a shot and then a rebound. Do they both count? Do we? Does anyone know that? Yeah, it's a good point. But I think I think as well, maybe it is because of how attacking the goal as well. I, I don't think it. It's weird to compare it to bielsa because it still felt like we had loads of attacking momentum under him anyway. So and the fifty percent win rate thing is like stats are brilliant aren't they but <laughs> it like or you could change it if you want we've got 100% win rate in the last two games we've got the same win rate in the last two games as Liverpool and Chelsea got a 50% so loss rate <laughs> so well exactly but there are teams in and around us by looking at the table and looking at the recent form guide Brighton have lost the last five games in a row and we're now four points behind them and they've got a game in hand, they're going to be looking over their shoulders now because 33 points isn't enough. And when you've lost that many games in a row, you start to worry, you get a bit twitchy. Newcastle, we're on that great run, lose a couple of games when we win a couple of games and that's a six-point swing on them. And all of a sudden, from them flying away, we're now back to within a couple of points. Brentford won a couple of games on the bounce. If they hadn't done that and dragged themselves up away, they're still a point above us with the same games. They're going to be looking over their shoulders. So those wins, what they've done, in, I don't think they have guaranteed us survival, but what they've done is put us back in amongst a pack rather than a smaller number of clubs that were possibilities for, for going down. And you want to be one of a number of teams that are mentioned well, you don't want to be mentioned at all. But if you're going to be, you want to be in a mix rather than it's us or it's them. Because when it comes down to us or them, quite often we bottom out on these things. Yeah, I, I, I do think people, you know, they, they make too many sweeping statements about who's safe and, and and who's not. You know, every weekend it seems whoever's in the bottom three, people are like, oh, yeah, they're, they're gone now. They'll be the bottom three at the end. And then one of them wins and, and they change their minds. And, yeah, there's a long way to go. And who knows, you know, 35 points probably will be all right. And if you'd have asked me five months ago or well, 
three months ago, I'd have probably said 30 points would have been all right. But, you know, it might end up being 38 or 39. You know, Brent Burnley might go on a run. What, you know, you just don't know. It is so unpredictable. Yeah, with the fixtures we've got coming up as well, you know, there is pressure on that Southampton game at home. And then, you know, going to, to Watford, obviously that's that's absolutely vital. So, you know, if we lose those two games, then everyone are going to be saying we're down probably. <laughs> It's completely true. The way I'm trying to shape my mentality around it is rather than seeing it as a relegation race, seeing it as a as a promotion race. Because if we win this mini league, and or you don't even have to win it, you just have to finish above three teams, then you gain Premier League status next season. And it's eight games to go. And all we've got to do is be better than at least three, then you've done it. I think we weren't relegated at halftime and we weren't safe at full time. And that was true at Norwich as well. No one's relegated except for Norwich. I might have said that we were down after Norwich if we did not score that winning goal, to be honest. Like we, we needed that so desperately um, to, you know, it, it was almost like 1-0 even wouldn't, I mean, it would have been enough, obviously, you know, it's three points and it would have been vital, but the club needed that huge lift of, of that goal so badly, you know, to lift people out of the the gloom and, and you know, give them something amazing to, to um, you know, to reflect on and, and to, yeah, to enjoy because um, there's not been much of that. So. My worry, James, was that they didn't have the character or the grit, these fine young men, to actually get anything in these situations, that the confidence was so far gone that the that the guru who had seen these plodders and turned them into established Premier League players had been, and you'd, you'd remove that, that we weren't going to have that character. Just how important for them as a, a group was getting those back-to-back wins, regardless of the lack of coherent football in bits of those games. Oh, massive. And I think... Um... Joe Gelhart coming on as a substitute and being very fearless and just doing the job that he needed to do kind of propelled us into that. And I know obviously Rafinha, Rafinha played a big part in that, but he was propelled by Joe Gelhart forcing him into making a run as well. And I think if you didn't have that late winner against Norwich, I don't think you would have got the result at, at Wolves as well, because after the sending off, it was like Joe said the other day that, you know, it was like we smelt blood. And I think that confidence had come from what they'd done at Norwich and thinking, well, you know, there's loads of time here. We've Now, now we've got them, you know. So, yeah, absolutely massive. I think we could probably have a final word on the relegation uh, situation when we look at the fixtures uh, later on. But for now... Let's turn our uh, our attention to some international twiddly thumb idle chit chat paper talk. So Deco's been discussing things again. Apparently, been no formal approach yet. Depending on who you read, he's signed personal terms with Barcelona. Has Rafinha? <laughs> wouldn't that be classed as tapping up though, and therefore yeah, it'd be illegal? That- yeah, because he's not in the last six months of his contract. He's not in a position where he's allowed to do that. So you can't have no formal approach, but an agreement with the club. That's not a thing, is it? Well, where do you guys stand on Rafinha leaving in the summer? And obviously, let's assume for this that we get enough points to stay in the Premier League. Where do you stand then? I mean, it's starting to sound like it's inevitable. Um, it's disappointing because... You know, a few months ago, um, like Phil Hay was making out like they would keep him until after the World Cup and he was going to be signing a new contract so that they'd maximise what they get for him. 
And then I think, well, last night, Graham Smith tweeted that, you know, the contract thing had just sort of gone away. It seemed like it wasn't going to happen. And, um, you know, I wonder, like, is that because I could be banging on about him again? But is that because Bielsa's gone? Has that changed something in Rafinha's mind? Um, but, um, yeah, at the end of the day, he's, he's going to, I'm sort of, I'm easy with it. I, I can't, I don't know what to say. Like he is. He's good enough to do that and to go, and I'd like him to stay another year or another six months. No, as long as we get the right fee for him, um, you know, then then I'm comfortable. But yeah, apparently Barcelona can only afford thirty million. So yeah, God, that better not cut it. James, what is the right fee for Rafinha? Eighty million at least. I mean, if you can pay eighty million for Harry Maguire, then you could pay eighty million for for Rafinha. Easy. I think ba- Barcelona is a tricky one because it has such a a magnetism for. Brazilian footballers you know there's been some amazing Brazilian footballers that have played there over the years and it and it almost feels like the the sort of tip of football to to you know South American players in a way so I think there'll always be that pull and psychologically for him he might be thinking well you know I might not ever get a chance if it's somewhere that he's always like really wanting to play and there is that but I also think from you know Leeds United's point of view I don't think they can afford to not do it I think we're at a point where We've not really traded anyone. Um, traded? So, I know, I was, gonna, I was just thinking <laughs> that. You know, we've got an American manager, so we might as well... Get someone we, new on the roster. We haven't drafted anyone either. Um, oh. No, so we haven't we haven't traded any of our existing players that have come in in recent years. So where does that put us in terms of financial situation and what we can afford, who we can afford to bring in? So it does feel like Rafinha might be the one that kind of helps us to by other players basically to try and thinking about trying to replace him like how how do you get a player anywhere near as good as him for you know for even if it was 80 you'd probably have to spend half and then it could still be a flop you know Joe Linton was 40 million you know West Ham have spent a lot of money on players that haven't really done it in the past um you know it it's such a difficult market nowadays and you know any even if you're buying from the belgian league you, you know you're, you're spending a fortune if you you know it's like a premier league tax isn't it so yeah i, I I'd, I'd worry i'd worry that we'd you know we'd find it very difficult to get a player anything like him i'll counter that with two points my first point is related to what we were talking about a minute ago what if Bielsa always said roster and soccer and all that, but because it was always in Spanish, it got translated into English. <laughs> Could have happened. It's a good point. Um, yeah, like, the translator was just like, this isn't going to go down well. Yeah, this won't wash. I'm going to call it this. Might turn out that he was a, you know, absolute charlatan. Everything he ever said was disgusting. And the translators <laughs> were just... Um, Brilliant at covering it up because obviously no one watching them press conferences spoke good enough Spanish to us. Um, and then my counter to your point is before we signed Rafinha, where did you see us signing a 17, 18 million pound player that was going to turn out to be pretty world-class pretty quickly from you didn't. Well, I didn't. And therefore you've got to, we've got to trust in the process of we are not a club at a level that can sustain the ambitions of world-class footballers at this point in time. We want to be at that point where players will come and stay for more than two or three seasons and be able to give them those opportunities, but we can't. I wouldn't begrudge anybody those opportunities. I'd be quite happy for Rafinha to get that move. I'd be delighted from a, on a personal level. A professional level, really, is probably more of it because I don't really know him on a personal level, but... I think that 
we need to be investing in players that are going to secure our status for where we are at. When we were at this point last year and Andy was banging on about Europe and I was saying how much of a disaster I thought it would be, we're a year down the line, we're in a slightly, well, we're in a much worse league, more precarious league position. But if we do secure a Premier League status for a third year, that's ever increasingly building this platform. All I hope is that next year it's only one of Rafinha and Phillips that has to go in order to fund, fund that progress. And I would rather Rafinha went. In fact, I'd drive him to Barcelona myself because well, I like Barcelona <laughs> and I'd have a good chat with him on the way. Well, I I was thinking the exact same thing as you, not the drive to Barcelona, but um, when you think who's been out for the last five or six months and what has that done to the position we're in in the table? How Would it be different if Phillips was in versus Rafinha? I think it probably would be because everything is built around that or everything was built around that area of the field. So, yeah, and and Calvin is the heartbeat of Leeds United, isn't he, really? It's like everyone wants the young kid from Lower Wortley to, to, to come through and, you know, play for England and be be the talisman of your... Of, of your you know your team so yeah he, he is the epitome of leads to me i don't begrudge rafinha going anywhere i want him to go abroad to one of those clubs i would like him to go to the clubs he's been linked with abroad but if he goes to liverpool chelsea Ugh. no if he does Ugh. i completely understand it on a professional level i don't i just won't be able to <laughs> like or support his career anymore because of rivalries between clubs but I would completely get it on a professional level and what I'm seeing at the moment I think I'm seeing a lot of bitterness in a fan base where we're going where we're, where we're doing that thing and I'll say we because we've done it I've done it myself from time to time where you go yeah he's rubbish you say these things because you're just trying to soften the blow and you're doing that for yourself, you're not doing it because you actually think that he's the worst player in the world or that over the last few games his head's been turned this, that, and the other. Those are things that fans say about players to convince themselves that it's okay when they leave because they didn't really like them anyway. Yeah. The truth is, he's a great player. He deserves to be playing at the top thing. If he chooses to stay with us for another year, we'll be grateful for it. But if not, him leaving is going to leave our club in a much better position than when he, when he joined. That's where I was going wrong with Bielsa. He's a bloody fraud, isn't he, that guy? That, that bloody Italian or whatever he is. That's Rafinha ticked off on our thumb twiddling. Oh, you've literally ticked him off on the sheet as well, so fair play. The flip of that that I just said is that I would definitely get rid of him if it meant that we could keep Calvin Phillips. We've talked about how important Calvin Phillips is to uh, is to the team. Is moving to West Ham or Aston Villa a bigger move? It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. I, I absolutely don't buy it. Um, it's not even. I, I don't even consider it news. To be honest, I just think it's. I, I don't. I don't pay it any attention or give it any respect. Similar to the Rafinha talk at the moment, you know, it's it's just filling a you know filling column inches. You know, the real the real negotiations probably will start, but they'll start in the summer. So everything in the meantime is just nonsense in my head. It's thumb twiddling. Yes, thumb twiddling, exactly. James, you've written loads of stuff about that. What? Are we just drawing a line under it as thumb twiddling? <laughs> or do you want to talk about what Simon Jordan said? Well, 
I mean, Simon Jordan said some really positive things on TalkSport about Leeds, and I think he does like us. Um, I think he likes the way the clubs run. And although, you know, we're obviously upset for decisions that have been made, I think on whole you could probably say that it has been well run in comparison to what it's been like in the past. But yeah, he was just basically saying that, um, you know, the opportunity is there at Leeds and that have the potential to be a bigger club than the combination of uh, West Ham and Aston Villa put together, which is great because you know that that's just going to throw... Uh... Yeah, I think there was there was news or rumours today that um, apparently contract negotiation or an improved contract to keep Calvin's been put on the table. Uh, I think that was in the Times. So, yeah, I mean, I'm the same as you, Paul. I would, I think he is the heartbeat. We need to keep him, basically. If, if, if one of them's going to go, we've got to keep... We've got to keep Calvin. Do you know what I realised on Friday night? One day, Calvin Phillips is definitely going to be the manager of Leeds United. <laughs> because well, Eddie's going to be a daft, out of, over-the-top, passionate, crazy manager. He loved it. I, th- I think um, everything that Jesse, Mar- Jesse Marsh has been saying recently about you know bringing leadership qualities to the team and getting players to step up, and Calvin being one of them, you can kind of tell that they're sort of trying to enact the ways of keeping him at Leeds as well. It's like, well, you know, build, build your own leadership side and you could be captain of this team one day. All that kind of stuff, you can kind of see it happening in the background. How old is he now? Is he... He's, he's older than you think, isn't he? Is he 27? 40, 42? <laughs> Calvin? Not Jesse. When he, I know, I'm joking. <laughs> Calvin Phillips. 26. 26. <laughs> When's his birthday? Second ah. of December, yeah. Second of December. So he's coming into the prime of his career, but he could definitely wait a couple of years. Like, <laughs> yeah, he'll want to play Champions League at some point, but, you know, he doesn't have to play it for the rest of his career, does he? He can just, he can dabble in it at some point, not for any English team. He might come back after injury and be awful and we won't shut of him. <laughs> Is this a, a Luke Ayling story when you've written <laughs> Bill? Well, it's more like, but it was more to talk about Bill because of how monumental he's been recently. I think we talked about him on the last podcast, but he has been, yeah, like pivotal to the recent success of us. He grabbed the Wolves game by the scruff of the neck. Uh, he was awesome. And I think we've seen it so many times from him, Birmingham and Swansea. And yeah, he's just, considering he's one of those players that does get an annoying amount of shit from some fans on social media that is just completely unjust. I think people easily forget like what a massive part he's played in our in our promotion and, and you know and where we finished last season. So and yeah, and he's he never gives up and I just love that. It's, he got a new he gets an amount of grief off Carragher and Neville. He got so much grief off Carragher during that game and then to get praised through the hill afterwards because of the this contribution is just so funny. Carragher, I'm not surprised he gets grief off people on social media because he says stuff as if as if they're never going to hear about it. And then well, it that, all goes back to them. Well, that, that's what made me laugh as well. It's like um, there was Carragher and Neville and they're just basically slagging off Jesse Marsh and like say, you know, saying like how dreadful the defending was and yeah. then literally like goes to an advert, cuts back two seconds later and they're there interviewing him. It's like, hey, Jesse, you bloody two-faced twats. How, how, did, how did that happen? <laughs> it's awful to watch. I, th- I hope he thought, who are these two? Who's this gargoyle looking fella? But so what's Luke Ayling doing this weekend, James? Well, I saw on his in his uh, Instagram account that he 
packaged the ball into the back of the Wolves net and then buggered off to Disneyland with his family. It's like, fair play, Bill. Which one? Uh, Paris, I assume. I saw he... today, this is yeah. on things footballers doing the international break. I saw that Raheem Sterling was in Jamaica playing football oh, yeah. with, with Prince William. He's got there fast, hasn't he? I don't yeah. know that aeroplanes are quite quick, but like Manchester City played on Sunday afternoon. Then he was playing football on Tuesday in a different time zone. Then he's going to play. He's got permission by England to break the camp because, you know, great, he's doing brilliant charity work. But it just seemed like a weird one. I'm baffled by that. I've not heard that. And England, uh, England don't play until Saturday. And is there a guy called Bailey who plays for Aston Villa who's Jamaican? It's a, an Aston Villa Jamaican player. Obviously, Prince William loves and played football in Jamaica. Long way for a five-a-side, isn't it? Can get up to all sorts in the international break. They're not twiddling their thumbs. Right, Victor Orta's been chatting. I think it's time we had a bit of a discussion around our leadership and ownership. And we've kind of touched on it already. They could have easily been staring at a decision that very quickly that, that there was going to be pretty awkward for them. But he's done an interview around long-term vision about how the squad could evolve in terms of transfers. What we were chatting before, and you said you were you were really chuffed with this, Rocco, that he's basically saying, I want a squad. We want to maintain this 18-man professional with the youth players with it. So why is that something that appeals to you so much? Because I believe in Bielsa, basically. And and, and it is something that, you know, it, it is completely out of the box in modern term thinking, but it is something I completely get on board with. I, I really, really do believe that the players will give more if they're, you know, expecting to be involved every single week. And also, yeah, with the with the youth development, I just think it, I think it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Um, I mean, that said, obviously we've had a ridiculous amount of injuries this season and, you know, the way football's going with all the injury, uh, the fixture pileups, you know, maybe at some point you you need to reassess that number and, and say, well, you know, four isn't the average number of injuries. It, it might be five or it might be six, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with it. I, you know, I've, I'm, I've never been a fan of the squad rotation that, that managers do. Yeah, eight, 18 man. It's it's worked. It's it's we've been caught out a bit this season, but you know Liverpool were caught out last season with a horrific injury problem, and you know that's not happened this season for them. It's I do think it's just one of those things. But then again, I've been saying that all season, and we're still getting five injuries a game. So <laughs> this is the message, and he's he's name dropped Bielsa, and he said it's part of his legacy. But he's saying. We're going to build careers. Does that mean we're going to take players, add a bit of value to them and sell them on? Or is there a legitimate thing around if we find the best young players and can evolve them within our style, then they're going to become established Premier League players with us? One point that I keep reading, obviously, is that people are countering this saying, oh, so it looked like the board were never going to buy anything for Bielsa. There was never the money there to, to spend on players. But I don't really buy that because I think Bielsa would have gone if that was the case. He would have got he would have he would have been long gone if he wasn't if he didn't have the tools to do the job. So I think he agreed and, and bought into this this system. And I do I do agree with it. I think, you know, the reason why we've been able to sign players like Joe Gelhart for one million pounds, who is, you know, He's got unbelievable potential for the future. Is because Bielsa's created an environment for him where it's the opportunity is there for him to to quickly establish himself or or to to get into the first team quicker. And so so it ticks that box in that it's keeping those those players happy. It's pushing on their development and it is supporting that that group of first team players. 
my concerns that I have with this at the minute are probably not directly linked to this, but it's the fact that it's it's the whole young Kevin Augustine saga, which I don't think anyone's really talking about. The fact that we might actually go into a transfer embargo because of the ruling against us. So what does that mean to 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 this, where we don't have, you know, we might sell Rafinha, we get. 60 to 70 million uh sorry we have to pay off the, the fee and any interest with it and then we get embargoed we have to be lumped with this system that works and part of me wonders is all to saying this because this is in the back of their minds as well that this is something that could actually rear its head um so there's two things i think that's happening there i think yes it's one it's probably their belief and he has to say it based on the players that he signed but two there's actually probably a real risk in the background as well i think you're doom mongering I don't think I am. I think that's that's. I think that's what's happening. There's a bit of both. They're definitely Brad Rosani's a PR machine, isn't he? He and so everything that's output by the people that's close around him, you know, be controlled to a certain degree. And I think this is this feels like it's from from there, really. Do you think there is a legitimate risk of being under transfer embargo? Yeah, I do. Adam With- Pope, Adam Pope reported on it. But that's the thing. This is what I mean. It's going under the radar. Not many people are talking about it. So I think it is. It's not a direct worry, but you know, things like this are kind of putting that idea into people that this this could happen. You know, that's a complete downer to be finishing this discussion on. I I think Adam Pope must be scaremongering. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. exactly. He's been twiddling his thumbs. Right. <laughs> Bloody um, thumb twiddlers. That do you do you not think it's just speculative? rather than anything they're talking a worst case scenario you know yeah it could happen it's the, the thing is is the reason why I, in my head i go to that worst case scenario is because it is leads and <laughs> these sort of things do seem to happen to us it's like flash forward a few weeks oh yeah survived uh survived relegation done really well and uh oh now now you can't build on that and uh yeah you're probably going to get relegated next season so so this is the the, the direct quote from journalist Peter O'Rourke is he shared his fears he said if things don't go right for them at this court hearing over the Augustine thing it could really bite into their transfer budget or there could even be a transfer embargo Mm. sounds speculative wishy-washy is the word I'd use words sports journalist from Harrogate did you hear the word wishy-washy yeah I thought I was back at the panto (laughs) Yeah, I think it's wishy-washy uh, reporting that. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I think it's pretty, like you say about the auto comments. It's probably, you know, it, it could even be taken out of context. And, you know, when he's talking about developing players, you know, it, it's not necessarily, although actually I think he did actually mention 15 and 16 year olds, but like in the same breath, he could be meaning, you know, buy a, you know, a, a 15 million pound prospect from France and, and develop him. But then if the, strategy of the club is developing players why would you sack the best coach in the world for developing players right so i'm going with peter o'rourke was trying to make headlines but again that could be me doing what i was saying earlier and just burying my head in the sand and trying to wish away something that might be true so it's just this one to keep an eye on isn't it right so let's go upbeat I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring it down like that. I'm it's just, all right, mate. Don't, I'm just, re- I'm just reporting on the people that are saying stuff. Finished I'm just the, talking about the people that are saying. You could have finished stuff. on the Luke Ailing goes to Disneyland, but you finished on Leeds are going to get a transfer embargo. Well, it's still so. kind of it, it, right? 
Yeah, just swap it round, swap it round, <laughs> get people cheery. Now let's finish with this then. Let's talk about Saturday, the second of April, uh, Sunday, third of April. That weekend, we're we're all wish it like we needed a break after Wolves, didn't we? Because it that two game thing, it was intense. But it only gets to like Tuesday night. You're like, hmm, where's the club games? <laughs> and and you want stuff back. So in that run of fixtures on the Saturday at 12.30, Watford are away at Liverpool, where you're hoping Liverpool are doing us a favour. Then you've got Brighton Norwich, where you're going, hmm, interesting fixture, because Brighton have lost five in a row, but Norwich, are Norwich already dead and buried? Or do you want them to get a confidence winner? Or do we want there to be points dropped somewhere so we'll go for a nice draw there? Then you've got three o'clock as well, Burnley versus Manchester City. Massive game, because... Manchester City at that point could be behind Liverpool starting that game in second. Does that put too much pressure on them or are Manchester City going to absolutely boss it? Burnley need the win. But oh, that's the kind of fixture where you go, anyone else could do all right there. Chelsea are at home to Brentford. Derby game. Brentford lost the last game, having won a couple. They're not safe. Big game. We're at home to Southampton. Wow. I mean, what a, what a run of games they are in that few hours. So by five o'clock on Saturday, the 2nd of April, things could look very different. Then you go on to the Sunday afternoon. You've got West Ham who need a win after their performance against Spurs playing Everton. You've got Spurs at home to Newcastle. But at the end of that weekend, it could be shaping up pretty different. You should work for Sock Saturday. I'm really excited. I'm going to go put it on record now. Do you know, I think there's a job opening coming up, isn't there? So uh, (laughs) I'll have to to chuck my uh, CV in. The 146 episode of a very, very localised podcast. Paul may work for for them, but I I definitely represent Leeds that. And I'm saying uh, 2-0 Southampton. Cheers, lads. See you later. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does. uh, Like that weekend of fixtures, as you've just described, it almost couldn't be handpicked any better, could it? So something's going to go drastically wrong. And I do think as well, like I said, similar, James, like, you know, two-week break, everyone's feeling good. We get back to Allen Road. Everyone's expecting a good performance. We've not had to send the players off to international duty. They're all fresh. You know, Calvin's back. Yeah, it's got 2-0, 1-0, Southampton written all over. I'll tell you what, lads, it was cheerier with the transfer embargo <laughs> talk, so switch it round, finish on that. <laughs> Cheers, guys. No, no, I've been serious there. I do, I do feel this break, like Rocco said, has come at the perfect time, and the fact that a few aren't on international duty, I do wonder if, if uh, Jesse Marsh has uh, called them into the training ground to do kind of more of the, more of the training on, you know, how we play and formation structure and that kind of thing and because that for me is the real like dangerous area for us at the minute it feels like we're all right going forward but defending we're absolute bogwash it like that first half was it was awful at, at, at wolves and it and you know that's why carriger and neville were slagging us off so much because they're defensive players and they could see uh, defensively we're open we were just so open so yeah i think if we can work on that and go into the Southampton game and and be that little bit tighter. I definitely think there's a good chance of getting something out of it. And it'd be a miracle if, you know, Watford beat Liverpool or Burnley get something from Man City, but uh, we've seen it happen though as well. Yeah, Southampton on the beach. I'd hope they've so. I've just help. been knocked out of the FA Cup, so they've literally it's a, it is a obviously it's a it's a I'm going to spin it this way. It's just a massive opportunity. And that 
that whole day has got to be great when you've had the break, you come back to it. Jesse's had more time with them fine young men. It's just going to be, let's hope that it's going to be one of those great afternoons that puts that little bit of distance between ourselves and those teams around us. We want to sit back at five o'clock and go, yeah. I'd like to think there's, there's, you know, there's pressure offers as well. You know, a bit of pressure offers, you know, with the two wins and also with the fixtures that are going on. Maybe, maybe it's just the perfect fixture and, and we will we will go out and stuff them 3-0 and, and everything will be happy and we go to Watford and finish the job. I'll tell you something. We're going to finish on this because James actually wrote one more thing at the bottom of our discussion sheet. He wrote, can we survive? And rather than tanking off the bottom end with our transfer embargoes and our leads that Saturday, the 2nd of April. Let's finish with this. Can we survive? James, captain optimistic. I definitely think we can survive. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. It's, I mean, it's in our hands now, isn't it? But we, we need to, we need the performances. I I think we don't need the performances. Wolves has proved that actually we just need the results no matter how, how we get them. I mean, that's the super computer has predicted it. And I always laugh about the supercomputer because it's, it's never not, been wrong before, has it? Well, it's more the fact that is it a supercomputer? Like it's just a, it's a nerd with a spreadsheet, <laughs> which I love. That's fine. But a supercomputer to me would be like artificial intelligence playing football, basically. Like or a spectrum or something. But yeah, sorry. My point, the supercomputer, the nerd with the spreadsheet has basically said that, um, we have a 23% chance of staying up. Um, 23? Oh, no. sorry, no, sorry, no, 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 my fault. <laughs> 23% chance of relegation. Oh, thank uh, God. Oh, dear. Um, versus Everton, who have got a 32%, and Burnley, 51%, Watford, 83%, and Norwich, pretty much certain, 99%. That's from 538, the, the, the man with the spreadsheet. Rocco, what are you saying? Yes, I'm saying, of course, we can stay up, and I do think we'll stay up now. I do. I think uh, I think we've had the the boost and the the lift that we needed, and um, yeah, I, I think let's go out and get three or four points from the next two games, and and that'll set us on our merry way. And then yeah, there'll there'll be other points to to be had as well. Thing is, we need to be safe before going to Brentford, don't we? Because we're not going to win there for the first time in seventy years to keep us up. Well, that's yeah. the, that's the thing, isn't it? And then the fixtures after that are really difficult ones as well. So these next two are are critical, really. Great. Well, I'll tell you what. Not only can we stay up, we are staying up. That was my Bloody positivity. Hell. Well, I want to finish with, for people on a high. I've made yeah. a I've made a note of the timestamp of where you said that, so I can cut it out and put it in the end of season podcast and say, "Cheers, Paul. This is where we got relegated." Look. <laughs> I've told you I was ready to be in a very dark place at half time against Wolves. But let's just let's just roll it on. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we're gonna get enough. We've had our bits of luck. Let's get these players back. Got two weeks in a in a camp with uh, with with JM and uh, let's come back and let's see. Thanks guys.
Social Podcast Network.